we see that somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers will decide to stop doing business with you in the first 100 days of the relationship. 20 to 70%. In banking, it's 32%. In the cell phone industry, it's 28%. Uh, in software as a service, it's 20%. Auto mechanics, 68%. Restaurants hover somewhere between 50 and 90%, depending on the type of cuisine. These numbers are staggering. And what is more staggering to me is that most businesses don't know what their percentage is. They don't know how many customers they're losing and with what frequency they're losing customers. And usually it isn't until they have a major loss and feel that pain that they decide to start paying attention to retention. I teach companies to keep their customers and keep their employees. Hey, everybody, welcome to a brand new edition of the None of Your Business podcast. And today, oh my gosh, are you in for a treat because we have what is probably the single most requested interview. If I ask people, who do you want to see on the None of Your Business podcast? This name comes up more than any other name. Today, we are joined by Joey Coleman of super fame. I mean, if you don't know who Joey Coleman is, if you've been just living under a rock for some reason, uh, then you need to get Amazon. Uh, you need new entrepreneur friends. <laughs> you need to figure out what it is you're doing. But I will tell you this, this topic is probably not the most popular topic. He is the author of the book, Never Lose a Customer Again. And I know you guys love talking about client acquisition. Today, we're going to talk about something that I think is even more important, which is client retention. Let's bring in Joey Coleman. Never lose a customer again. Welcome to the None of Your Business podcast. Uh, Sean, thanks so much for the kind introduction. Thanks to everybody who's joining in and listening. And uh, thanks for giving me the status of being most requested guest. I'm flattered and honored and uh, hope I can deliver on a great experience for the listeners. Well, I already know that you're going to deliver. You and I have had a couple of conversations um, in the past, and then uh, the pandemic hit, and uh, the ability to do um, live workshops and conferences came to a screeching halt. I'm super excited for uh, what we will be able to put together and collaborate um, in the future. So retention, like not the most exciting thing to talk about in the business world, but to you, you claim that this is potentially one of the most important elements to be considering when looking at the bottom line of the success of a business. I do. And, you know, Sean, it's not just my claim. It's what all the research shows, too. You know, I'm a recovering attorney by trade. First steps admitting you have a problem. And there's uh, 11 steps after that one. But what's fascinating is you mentioned this in the in the intro. You know, so many businesses focus on acquisition. And I get it. That's important. I am not an anti-sales and marketing guy. But what a number of businesses do is they put all of their time, effort, energy, and dollars towards acquiring new customers 
without giving any attention, focus, or commitment towards retaining these customers that they've worked so hard to attract and to sign. And what's fascinating is if we look across all industries around the world, uh, online and offline, product and service, small, medium, and large, domestic, international, whatever criteria you want to categorize businesses by, we see that somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers will decide to stop doing business with you in the first 100 days of the relationship. 20 to 70%. In banking, it's 32%. In the cell phone industry, it's 28%. Uh, in software as a service, it's 20%. Auto mechanics, 68%. Restaurants hovers somewhere between 50 and 90%, depending on the type of cuisine. These numbers are staggering. And what is more staggering to me is that most businesses don't know what their percentage is. They don't know how many customers they're losing and with what frequency they're losing customers. And usually it isn't until they have a major loss and feel that pain that they decide to start paying attention to retention. So you said you're a recovering lawyer. I am. What is, what's the gap between practicing law or being a lawyer, what's the gap between that and to where you are now being such an expert in this subject matter? Yeah. So it's an eclectic path to say the least, Sean. I did time. I worked for the Secret Service, for the CIA, and for the White House and the Office of Counsel to the President. I was a criminal defense lawyer. I taught at the postgraduate level. I ran an ad agency for 15 years. Most people will look at that career and say, geez, he can't hold a job. The reality <laughs> is that I am a student of the human condition. I wanted to know why is it that people do the things they do? And what can we do to convince or persuade them to do the things we'd like them to do? And so in every job I've ever had, the way you succeeded is by understanding those two facts. Why do people do what they do? And what can we do to make them do the things we'd like them to do or convince or persuade them to do those things? And so that's kind of the thread that ties it all together. So as a Trial attorney, you know, how do I get the jury to find my guy not guilty? As a speaker and a consultant for businesses on customer experience, how do I get audiences to see that paying attention to retention and customer experience is, is worth their focus and worth their dollars and worth their time, and then get them to take the action to implement the kind of plans and systems that allow them to deliver that consistently remarkable experience? So if somebody asks you today, what do you do? What do you say? <laughs> I Usually the way I answer that question is I teach companies to keep their customers and keep their employees. Okay, so perfect too. I want, I want to talk about this. Um, you know, oftentimes we have one of the challenges that we face in an in information world um, of entrepreneurs and influencers and digital marketing is a lot of people are self-proclaimed experts in the subject matter that they, you know, they wrote a book on it and maybe they maybe even got bestseller status, but you are actually uh, being hired. You're consulting with legit companies who recognize you as an expert in this subject matter. Um, when you're being called in, what sort of issues are you finding in these big companies, because that's going to trickle down into the viewers and the listeners of the None of Your Business podcast, the small businesses, because we haven't even thought of those issues that they're facing because they're just transacting far more volume than we are. 
Sure. I think, you know, to your point, because of the volume they're transacting, maybe the issues are more exacerbated than they are in a small business uh, or more consequential in terms of the impact. You know, when you're losing 5% of your customers as a small business, you're probably aware of it because you know the names of those people that are leaving. At a larger business at 5%, you might not know their names, but when you're looking at the quarterly returns, you're feeling the pain. So I think at the end of the day, these problems uh, exist, whether it's small, medium, or large. Usually what happens, much to the chagrin of the listeners of my podcast and you know the fans of my book and you know people that come up after speeches, I don't get to always pick the companies I work with. People say to me all the time, Joey, why haven't you worked with cable companies? Why don't you work with my cell phone provider? You know, these organizations and these industries that are kind of known globally for not having a remarkable customer experience. But the type of businesses I find myself working with the most are organizations that already have a really good or maybe even a great customer experience and they want to take it to the next level. Organizations like Zappos, organizations like NASA, organizations like Volkswagen, you know, folks that have a well-known, well-established brand, they're doing a great job, but they want to polish the edges. They want to refine it and take it to the next level because they've learned that each additional week, month, year that they can keep a customer has a direct impact, not only on the bottom line, but on the overall morale and positive energy of the organization and the employees for that matter. So it helps in a number of ways, not just dollars saved and dollars retained. Who are the who are the customers of NASA? Yeah, that's a great question. So NASA actually, uh, the work that I've done with NASA is in their Explorer Schools program. So what we did is we created NASA created this great program where they were going to help schools in rural communities and underserved urban centers uh, with coming in with a curriculum that was based on space. I don't know about you, Sean. Pretty much every human being on the planet, when they think about the moon and the stars and space, they get excited. And so their vision was, well, what if we use this as the curriculum basis for all education at an elementary school level? So in math class, you would figure out how much you weighed on the moon. In English class, you would write a story about what it was like being on a rocket traveling to Mars. In music class, you might sing a song about you know the stars and the future and exploration. So they really developed a curriculum across the board. The challenge they had was not convincing the students to get excited about that. That was easy. They had two audiences that they struggled to get excited about this. School boards who said, but that's not the way I was taught. When are they going to read Huck Finn? And senators and members of Congress who were in charge of funding NASA. So the work we did there was about creating a remarkable experience for school boards and for politicians to support these type of initiatives. NASA had the experience of the students dialed in great. They needed some help on those older kids that were maybe more involved in the decision-making process. And so to go from NASA to our local chiropractor, physical therapist, dentist, and, and this is always the challenge. Whenever we have somebody who is super accomplished, a lot of times people are like, well, you know, of course I've read Joey's book. Of course I'm watching him on this podcast, but of course I've seen him everywhere. Um, and my, my gosh, I would love, of course, he, I think he's extremely smart, but um, I don't know how he could really help me. I mean, when we're talking about Zappos, Whirlpool, NASA, that's not 
That's not little old me. And so here's my reality. I'm going to speak for all of our viewers and listeners. My reality is I know a couple cliches like leaky bucket syndrome or, you know, exit. they're going out the back door. And I, I just know, I just throw out these things, but I don't really understand them. Like you said, I don't even know what my retention rate is. Um, another thing, I don't actually know when they're falling off. So you mentioned like the first 100 days. Well, if I actually knew that they were falling off after 25 days, maybe I could implement some strategies around, you know, leading up to that fall off point that I could beef up my retention. So I don't know a lot of things. Tell me some starting points for us small business owners of how we begin to think and act like a Zappos or NASA even in considering our retention. Yeah, and I appreciate that question, Sean. You know, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm a small business guy myself. I run a small business. I have for over 20 years. I grew up in a small business. My dad had his own trial practice, you know, small law firm, three lawyers, right? So I'm, while I may have listed some of the companies that I work with, and you may have shared some of the companies that have let's put it this way, maybe in-house brand recognition. We've all heard of Zappos. We've heard of NASA. We maybe haven't heard of our local chiropractor beyond the community they serve or our local dentist or real estate agent. The reality is all of these audiences are human. I don't care what business you're in. Your customers are human. And if your customers aren't human, please send me an email because I would like to learn more about your business. I've yet to come across a business, even ones that are serving the government, where they aren't actually humans that they're interacting with. When it comes to where do you start, I think it's most important to begin by assessing the reality of where we're at. So many businesses that I go and work with will start to talk about retention and they're like, Joey, we just have no idea. Sometimes people stay, sometimes they leave. So one of the first things we want to start looking at is what is the customer journey within your organization? Now let's take chiropractors, for example. Chiropractors know about something called PVA or patient visit average, right? And a lot of chiropractors that you talk to, if they're serious about running their business, they can tell you what the average number of visits that a patient makes before they leave their practice. Dentist, it's a little bit different, right? With a dentist, I know I should go to the dentist every year, and sometimes I should go twice a year, and sometimes I should go once a quarter. It just kind of depends, but the numbers are a little bit different. So for every industry, what you want to look at is what is the repeat business that you're getting? What is the lifetime value of the customer, i.e. what dollars are they going to spend with you? And what is the lifetime duration? of the customer relationship. Are they entering the relationship for a dentist, for example, expecting that you're going to be the dentist until something goes wrong? Cause I'm going to keep having teeth or are they coming for a more acute situation? Like we might see in a real estate scenario, I'm trying to sell my house. Once the house is sold, I don't have a whole lot of need for the real estate agent anymore. So it's really industry specific. But the thing I like to do first is baseline the journey and figure out what's actually happening and where might people be leaving? And then when we layer data on top of it to see what's actually happening, we have a much clearer idea of where those leaky holes in the bucket might be. Well, I want to come back to that in a second. And you have this concept of the first 100 days. But you also talk about how oftentimes um, we just botch this up right from the jump. So when we're, we're saying like, hey, um, let's detail the journey, frankly, for a lot of people, that's like, that's two days right? or two, <laughs> two interactions and that's the journey. Um, and frankly, too, because a lot of business is predicated on this sort of this hunting of the prey. Like there are so many small business owners that 
they live for the kill. Like they, they love funnels and they make the top of funnel, mid funnel, and then we close. And then once we've gotten that close, we ring the bell, we celebrate, and we move back out to the next victim or the next prospect. And we totally forget about servicing the client that we just closed. And you you make a point that that this is a big problem for a lot of companies. And this is a major issue, even if maybe you have a PVA or a lifetime value where they stay for 12, 25, or 36, or 59 you know, consecutive visits. But it still is an issue because we've done some things wrong in the beginning. What are some of the things that we're doing to screw it up from the jump? Oh, like most things in business, Sean, there are only a thousand different ways you can mess up the smallest thing, right? So let me give you some of the big buckets and we can dive into any of these that you want to. You know, I think they're, the first thing we have to acknowledge is as humans, we are predisposed biologically to enjoy the chase better than the catch. Mm. This shows up in dating relationships. Let's take it out of a context of business. We are much more persuasive and much more attentive when we are dating someone than when we're actually married to them. I'm not saying that's the way it should be, but that is the nature of the human condition, right? So what are we doing to actually hold on? And we only need to look at a divorce rate that is greater than 50% here in the United States, at least, to see that we're over-indexing on acquisition over retention. Mm. On top of that, we look at organizational structures. In the typical business, there is a head of sales. There is a head of marketing. There's not a head of customer experience, or if there is a head of customer experience, they report up to the head of sales or the head of marketing who then reports up to the CEO. Well, do you think that person sitting in the meeting with the CEO is going to talk more about sales when their title is head of sales or customer service, the little thing that reports up to them? Well, human condition tells us they're going to talk about sales. Additionally, in the typical business, the people who are compensated the least are the people who have frontline interaction with our customers. And yet we say customer experience and customer service is important. And yet these are the lowest trained, lowest paid, lowest status employees in our organization. Is it any wonder that a new customer or a customer feels less than valued, less than taken care of when we're not valuing the employee that is responsible for maintaining that relationship? So we see we've got fundamental biological challenge. We've got fundamental structural challenges. And that's before we even get into the journey. Now, here's where the journey gets interesting. I believe there are eight phases of the customer journey. From the moment they first hear about you and are assessing or considering whether they want to do business with you, up to the eight phase where they're a raving fan advocate for you and your business. The problem is, Sean, most business owners want to jump from the first sale to raving fan. That's the equivalent of going on a first date and before you've placed your order saying, now when do I get to meet your parents? <laughs> I'm sorry, we're not having dinner if you want to meet my parents before we've had the appetizers. That just doesn't work. It's rushing the game. And yet that's how many, how so many businesses operate. We're trying to race to the upsell, the next sell, you know, the referral, the testimonial. It's like, folks, pump the brakes a little. Let's get to know each other. Let's go on a couple dates. Let's have a dance. Let's have a dinner. Let's see a movie. And then maybe if things are progressing along nicely, we'll deepen the relationship to the next level. Yeah, I cannot agree more, you know, <laughs> and, and, and the way that I would even say 
I agree the human condition is that way, but I think that entrepreneurs, we get like an extra special dose of that, right? Like totally. it's like the adrenaline of that close. And then, and then yes, because also we are prepped because there's so many courses and the gurus that are like, listen, how many referral strategies do you have? How many upsell strategies and cross-sell strategies? And then you were like, let's put them all in there in the front. And what you're saying is, listen, why don't we develop out the journey? Why don't we talk a little bit about these these phases of the journey and what is inside of each phase? And maybe um, for a small business service provider, what are some hallmarks of that phase that we might be able to clue in and realize where our current clients are in that journey? Absolutely, Sean. Well, let me give a brief overview of all eight phases, and then we can dive specifically into individual ones as you see fit. Now, to be clear, before I start explaining these, I'm going to give you the fire hose version where we'll run through because there's eight of them, friends. We could spend a lifetime in any one of these phases. Additionally, it might be useful to know that I've named all the phases to start with the letter A. And the idea is not to confuse you, but rather to think about the fact that it's like a report card from your customers. You want to be getting straight A's in every category. If you're failing in one of the phases and getting an F, you're not going to be able to move on to the next subject and do well. It's all a sequence. It's all a narrative. It's all a journey that we need to stay with. So phase one is the assess phase. This is when a prospect is considering whether or not they want to even do business with you. In common parlance, we call this marketing and sales. We then move to phase two, the admit phase. In this phase, the prospect admits that they have a need or a problem that they believe you can solve. They sign on the dotted line. They hand over their hard-earned cash. They transition from being a prospect to being a customer. We then come to phase three, the affirm phase. Now, in the affirm phase, the new customer begins to doubt the decision that they just made to do business with you. In common parlance, we call this buyer's remorse. Now, here's an interesting aside. For all of you listening at home, whether you're driving in the car or doing the laundry or doing the dishes or working out and you're hearing the podcast, I want you to play along. It feels a little silly, but trust me, there's an outcome here that I think you'll enjoy. I want you to raise your hand up in the air if you've heard of the phrase buyer's remorse. Now, while I can't see you, most of the hands are in the air right now. Now, I want you to put your hand back down. I want to ask a different question. Do you have a system and a process in your business designed to address the buyer's remorse that we know every consumer feels with every purchase? Raise your hand. Oh, guess what? That sound of silence is the sound of very few, if any, hands being raised. We've all heard of buyer's remorse, yet very few of us have a system and a process in our business designed to address the buyer's remorse that we know our customers are feeling. So here we are at the beginning of the journey, as Sean pointed out earlier, and we're already in the hole in terms of what the customer feels. We're high-fiving, we're celebrating, we landed the new customer. Meanwhile, the new customer is thinking, what if this doesn't work out? What if the promises they made in the sales process, they don't deliver on them? Will I be able to get my money back? What if I lose all of this time working with this consultant? Will I miss my opportunity in the marketplace? What if this product that I purchase, I need to return it? Do I have to pay for the return or do they pay for the return? How this works? All these fears and doubts and uncertainties that are kicking around in their mind while we're celebrating the new client. 
there's a disconnect in the emotional feeling between those two spaces. And we want to reduce the amount of emotional disconnect. We then come to phase four, the activate phase. Now in the activate phase, this is that first real moment of truth. We want to energize the relationship. We want to show our new customer that doing business with us is going to be unlike any business experience they've ever had. We then come to phase five, the acclimate phase. And I will tell you, this is where many businesses really start to fall off the track. If they haven't fallen off the rails before, it gets really ugly here. Because in the acclimate phase, you want to hold your customer's hand as they navigate doing business with you. Now, here's the thing. You've delivered your service hundreds of times, thousands of times, tens of thousands of times. But to a brand new customer, they have no idea what comes next. Now you may say to me, but Joey, in our proposal, we explained our process or in our marketing materials, we showed the various phases of our relationship. We explained in that initial kickoff meeting what we were going to do. Friends, they weren't paying attention. It's not because you didn't do a good job. It's because they're human. We sign things all the time that we don't actually read. We get exposed to information that we're overwhelmed by and we nod our heads in agreement. when in reality is we can't repeat back what we just heard. You need to hold their hands and help them acclimate. If you do this, you then reach phase six, the accomplish phase, where the customer accomplishes the goal they had when they originally decided to do business with you. Then they go to phase seven, the adopt phase, where they become loyal to you and only you. They are committed. They'll buy any product or service you introduce. And last but not least, phase eight, the holy grail the advocate phase, where they become a raving fan singing your praises far and wide. Now, here's the thing. If we don't do all eight phases, if we don't bring them along through each step in the process, we never get to that nirvana, that holy grail advocate phase. That's why so many businesses struggle with referrals and repeat business. Yeah. And everybody wants a referral-based business, right? But they don't follow the playbook that you outline. And then they wonder, they scratch their heads and they wonder why. I want to look at um, one phase, um, the affirm phase. Now, we have a different name for that in Black Diamond Club. We call that the morning after. Right? Sure. <laughs> Is that, um, what did I just do? Oh, my gosh. Um, what, are some, what are some great tactics or strategies that we might implement to reassure our customer? Because this is one that I think, look, you might not, you might look at the list and be like, I don't have all of, I, I, I'd have to do so much work, but this is something that you can apply. Everybody, as long as you're not out of business, if you're doing business, you're closing business, we can all apply these strategies now. So what are some of the things that I might do to affirm to my client that I just closed the business on that they made the right choice? I love it, Sean. Let's get hyper-tactical with a couple of things you can immediately do to affirm that decision. Here's the reality. Most businesses are doing nothing. So your competition in the mindset of your customer is silence. It's the tumbleweed. It's literally no communication with you. And they are left to fill that silence with their own thoughts and doubts and fears. So what do we do to create some noise during that time? A handwritten thank you note telling them how excited you are to have them as a customer and to serve them, where you call out one or two things that came out in the sales process that you're going to be working on during the relationship. A video where you send a little video, a little selfie video that you shoot yourself with your phone and text to them just saying, oh my gosh, we saw that you signed up. We're so excited. Let me introduce you to some of the other people on the team that you'll meet when you come into the office. We are pumped. We're looking forward to our first meeting. 
Or if you're selling a product online, what about a little video thank you from the author of the product? Just saying, hey, I think this product is really going to deliver for you. But by the way, if it doesn't, if at any point you have any questions, just respond back to this text message. It's my phone. I'll answer you directly. These little things move mountains in terms of the doubts your customers have. It's not about the volume of communication you're having during the affirm stage. It's about having a communication in the affirm stage, doing something to address the practical reality that your customer is doubting their decision and you want to affirm it. One last pro tip, and these are for the folks that are like, yeah, Joey, we already do thank you notes. We already send text messages. Here's one of my favorite ones. Every business owner I know who's been in business for any appreciable amount of time, let's say more than a year, has at least one customer that loves them, okay? Hopefully you have lots more, but you have at least one. Ask that customer if they would film a little video on their phone that you could share with your new customers. And here's the script. It's real simple. Let's pretend that I'm a customer of Sean's and Sean has said, Joey, will you film this video? Here's the video I filmed for Sean. Oh my gosh, Sean just told me that you signed up to be a new customer of Black Diamond Club. Oh my God, you're going to love it. I've been in Black Diamond Club for over a year. It has been the best investment I have ever made. This is fantastic. I've learned X, Y, and Z. I've had the chance to have exposure to these type of thought leaders, these type of experiences. I know you're new. I know it's fresh, but the reality is you're going to love this. I can't wait to meet you in person at one of the events. Simple, straightforward. If they love you, they'll be happy to make that video. And you'll notice I didn't say the person's name. So Sean can use that video with every new person that signs up for the next year. Oh, and then we can get someone else to shoot the video for the next year's video or whatever it may be. So you don't, lots of times, Sean, business owners, they're like, Joey, this sounds like a lot of work. How do I scale this? This is impossible. Well, folks, being in business is a lot of work. Yes, let's just address the elephant in the room. But I'm all about doing customization and personalization and thoughtfulness at scale. You can do it. It just requires a little more creativity and a little more thoughtfulness on the front end. So wrapping up the public facing portion of this discussion, before we jump into the Black Diamond Club for some exclusive content, I thought about putting this in the question in the Black Diamond Club, but I think it's really important for everybody one of our big premises that we talk about a lot that we feel like really hurts service providers with their ability to retain their clients is this concept in it and it's and it's in alignment with your idea of we're predisposed you know when we look at relationships when recording we're you know we're texting we're 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 in constant communication we're having dinner you know nightly or every other night because we want that close contact and then what happens is then when we finally uh, close the deal then the 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 distance begins to become greater and one of the things that I've noticed for example if I you have this example in the book if I break a tooth well I'm going to have a lot of contact with my dentist over a short period of time. But one of the things that we we teach is that human beings by nature, they want greater degrees of access over time. That's why I'm pursuing in a relationship. Maybe we just talk, but we talk superficially. Then I would love it if you know we could become friends. So then we're texting and and you're telling me more about your day. Then I would love it that we are collaborating. So you you 
you gain access with the depth of the relationship. However, most service providers, the business is constructed in reverse, where over time, you actually get less access. You see me less frequently. You come once a year. You And so how can we overcome that and still provide a wonderful client journey and also have those touch points where we are giving them access that we know that they know that we're thinking about them and that we're still in relationship. What are some ways that we can overcome that? Well, a couple of thoughts on that, Sean. I think first and foremost, we want to acknowledge the fact that different customers want different things. There are some customers that actually like the fact that you communicate less as the relationship goes on. You know, setting up my internet in my house I don't want the internet person coming to my house every week. In fact, I want them to set it up once and never come here again. So it's really dependent on your industry and kind of the offering and what type of relationship you want. That being said, when we think about connection, I would say that access is a piece of it, but relevance is a bigger piece of it. So it's it's that they want to feel that they are in communication with you that you're thinking of them, even if it's not a real-time communication. So I'm a big fan of exploring ways for asynchronous communication. That is communications that you can create that allow the customer to know you're thinking of them without interrupting them. So for example, sending an email, sending a text message, but not your standard marketing email not your standard marketing text message. I'm talking about a little text that just might say, hey, Sean, I'm sitting in my house and I saw this and it made me think of you. And I just wanted to reach out and say, hey, I love that you're a customer of ours. Thanks for your continued business. Needless to say, if there's anything we can do, reach out and let us know. But we're just psyched to have you be part of the family. As a business owner, you could crank out a hundred of those in about two hours in the comfort of your chair texting your customers. Now that implies that you know your customer's cell phone numbers and you've established permission to actually send them these type of messages. But those little thoughtful thinking of you, hey, I saw this and thought of you are so much more powerful than here's our standard email newsletter we send to everyone, or here's the rote gift we send out at the holidays to every customer that's exactly the same gift that actually none of our customers are excited to receive. And it would have been better to not send anything. I think there are huge opportunities to say, stop trying to be all things to all people and instead recognize what does this relationship need me to be? Does it need me to be attentive? Does it need me to check in from time to time? Does it need me to check in more regularly? Each of these can be built within your business operations to allow for a much more fluid and much more consistent interaction. Well, before we wrap up this segment of our discussion, Anybody who's watching, and I want to make sure that we leave this super clear, how can they interact with you? Because here's what here's what we need to overcome is, again, they're like, well, this is great. Thanks for bringing on Joey Coleman. But again, I don't have you know millions of dollars like these companies, so I should probably just read the book and call it a day. But that's not, that's not necessarily the case. There's opportunities that people can um, engage with you. How can they, how can people that are interested engage with you? There's a number of ways, Sean. I mean, from let, let's run the full gambit of low dollar to higher dollar, just because I know that's how some people evaluate these things. Low dollar, 
come to my website, joeycoleman.com, J-O-E-Y, like a five-year-old or a baby kangaroo, right? Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, but no relation, joeycoleman.com. You'll find a PDF that walks you through the eight phases of the customer journey and gives you worksheets that you can do or on, on your own or with your team. All of that's free. You can listen to my podcast, Experience This, the Experience This show, where we each week dissect interesting customer experiences in little 10-minute morsels of delight. Uh, moving up the chain of things you might spend money on. This one's going to cost you maybe $5 for the ebook. I think last time I checked, $14 for the audiobook, $19 for the hardcover is pick up a customer, a copy of Never Lose a Customer Again. 46 case studies, small, medium, and large companies. Moving up the range, I do one-off consulting calls where you can do an hour, you know, a half hour, a 15-minute, a 10-minute clarity call where we just dive in and specifically focus on your business. You can learn more about that on my website. I do consulting engagements. These run the gambit between, uh, you know, forty dollars and $200,000, depending on how complex. And I realize that's a gigantic range, but that's, are we, are we, you know, polishing edges or we building something from scratch. And then there's folks that bring me in to speak uh, to their audiences, which run again, the full gambit of, are we looking at a, you know, $15,000 virtual engagement or a, let's spend a couple days together for 40 or $60,000. To be clear, the reason I share the numbers is not because I'm trying to do any weird price anchoring or anything like that with you. It's because I think we often have a perception when we see a consultant or a speaker, an author, an expert, that they're out of our range. We hear them and they say, oh, well, they he worked with Zappos. But there's no way I could afford him. I've worked with dozens of chiropractors to work on their individual practices, dozens of dentists, individual real estate agents, lawn care companies, auto mechanics, you name it across the industry. I like working with people who are committed to creating remarkable experiences. So if this sounds like you, come check it out and let's have a conversation and see if we might be able to work together. And let me tell you, I, and I just love how comfortable you are with your prices. And I think that, look, look there's a lesson for every entrepreneur and service provider out there. Um, he wasn't like, well, you know, sometimes I, it could be a lot. It, these are, this is what I charge and these are the ranges and this is how you can interact with me. But here's what I want to make sure that every listener and viewer gets. Um, it's you really do need to just get in where you fit in. You need to figure out where you are at this time. And again, what level of access can you afford jo with Joey because you need it, right? There's nobody that's watching this. that's like, well, I don't need that. Like, right. So you have all eight, you have all eight of these in place and you're getting an A in all of them. And if you're anywhere short of that, then it's all about figuring out how you can get better. And that's what this podcast is about. It's providing you resources human resources that can help you to shore up your business so that you can reach more people, make a bigger impact and create the lifestyle that you deserve. Joey, thanks for jumping on the podcast. Hang in there. Uh, we're going to jump over into the Black Diamond Club for just a couple minutes of exclusive content where we're going to drill down even deeper on a couple of these things. And if you're not yet a member of the Black Diamond Club, come on, what are you waiting for? www.blackdiamondclub.com. That's where you get exclusive backstage access to every single one of the speakers that we and interviewees that we interview here on the podcast. Every time we go across the street into the Black Diamond Club and we go deep where we talk about how to apply these constructs, www.blackdiamondclub.com. We would love to have you. We promise you that we will make you feel right at home. All right, everybody, until next week, we'll be back again with a brand new episode of the None of Your Business podcast.